We ready? No. We are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pulling Thursday. Hey. Hi, friends. Hey. How's everybody? I'm feeling good. I'm excited. Good, good, good. I am excited, but I'm also very, very nervous. <laughs> and we don't even have a guest. Why are you nervous? <laughs> I know, but um, I mean, I we're know. talking about music, y'all, and that just, you know, urgh. Music, y'all. This is going to be part one uh, of four music episodes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that today we're doing something a little different. Normally we have a guest and we talk about their journey, but we wanted to be responsive to our ongoing journeys, our stories that we're still, you know, we're still pulling threads ourselves. And so we wanted to talk about individual threads that make up our own sweaters. And one really important thing for all of us is music. And so... This is about the single thread of music and the role it played in in our lives, you know, while we were kind of developing our faith and then examining our sweaters and the role that it plays now in our lives. So that's that's the plan today. And, and hopefully the goal is we will also have a Pulling Threads playlist where you can travel through our sweater history <laughs> and experience <laughs> our uh, musical... Musical makeup? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. This was no um, easy task trying to narrow down yeah. uh, because obviously we can't all three talk about all the music that has played a part in our lives the past um, however so many years. But um, so what, what Cliff and what Cliff, Megan and I did is we took the week to come up with some songs and albums that were influential early on for us, kind of in our formative years. And then musically what's important to us now or going through deconstruction what was what was important to us so that's the plan that's what we're going to talk about today all right so i i'm ready to ready to dive into this or delve into it as cliff would say let's delve all right let's dive in <laughs> we're diving in musical interlude yeah um okay so when you were thinking about your early years yes Megan, what came up? Okay, well, I've talked about this before, but like I've in my episode, I talked about how music was quintessential for my salvation experience, I guess, with a song by Wayne Watson. So in the early 90s, I guess I would say I was listening to like Wayne Watson, Sandy Patty, um, Amy Grant. Hmm. I auditioned hmm. for show choir in the sixth grade to Amy Grant. Um, Which song? Every Heartbeat. Is that the name of the song? Every Heartbeat Belongs to You, that song. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so thanks to Amy's song, I got into show choir. <laughs> <laughs> and that actually kind of started my musical, because I... Uh, as a child, I I tried out for cheerleading and I didn't make it, and I was devastated. And so I I tried out for show choir and I made it. And I feel like that was my my door. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. um, I I've also talked about Stephen Curtis Chapman, and I basically sat on the end of my futon every night or day and just like listened to songs, internalized the music, read every word in the little cd thing mm, the slave. yeah because that's yeah. i mean that's what we did we just you know we didn't have technology um but <laughs> <laughs> putting it in my boom box uh <laughs> okay so i've talked about i loved great adventure that was my first concert and got to be true i mentioned that in another episode where it's just kind of talking about how you have to be good every single minute of every day basically well normally at this point you'd hear me sing and i'd be doing that acoustic guitar thing so by now you're probably wondering what's going on because this is really starting to sound like one of those rap songs well let me tell you what the boy's up to you see i like rap music and the beatbox group 
Sometimes I gotta admit, I close all the doors and wave my arms around and I face the floor. But then I crack up laughing. I gotta stop and just face the facts. The boy don't give pop. You see, I grew up in a state where the grass is blue. So if it's gonna be believable, it's gotta be true. It's got to be true. But I this week I found this song that I forgot I used to listen to. It's called "Remember Your Chains." And chains like like prisoner like chains. chains. Okay, yes. yeah. And okay. so the lyrics for the chorus are like, "Remember your chains. Remember the prison that once held you before the love of God broke through. Remember the place you were without grace when you see where you are now. Remember your chains." And remember, your chains are gone. You were without grace. When you see where you are now, remember your chains. And when I listened to it, I was like, ooh, it's kind of cringy because I feel like as a young Christian, there was a lot of like prisoner and slavery imagery presented. And this might be getting like too serious too early, but I kind of had this thought this week as I was listening that like, there was so many songs about how we, you know, seeing yourself as a slave and seeing yourself as a prisoner that I think it kind of strengthened. And like I said, this might be getting a little too deep, but like, the more I thought about it now, I feel like it kind of strengthens like that white supremacy ideal that like we're all struggling. So everyone is equal and it gives like white Christians an excuse to ignore systemic racism because they were like slaves to a slave to sin. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's too deep or too out there, but I feel like there was a, this like dissonance of like, remember your chains remember how terrible you are oh yeah but don't forget you're free and it was like this that I feel like this week I realized that's where I was living I was living in this like you're terrible and you're chained up and you you know I was a kid like I was not (laughs) I was not a prisoner I was not like doing anything super terrible but I just through these songs I felt like there was just a little tiny bit of, oh, yeah, but don't forget you're free. But also, remember your chains, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Yeah, I think you really internalized the lyrics, <laughs> right? Wait, yeah. To a right? way greater extent than I ever did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this making me sound nuts? <laughs> no, no. I don't know. Well, you haven't heard us talk yet, so mm. we'll, we'll see. It's all oh, relative, man. right? But, yeah. So you were remembering, because you were, like, seven when yes. you asked Jesus into your heart? So you were remembering your first six exactly. years where you were out in the darkness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that that can make it really hard to like relate to real pain and real suffering and real trauma, you know? So I definitely yeah. have learned <laughs> some things through that. <sighs> All right. Yeah. You, you really... You jumped jumped in the deep end there, Megan. Uh, that's okay. So we want to explore. Cliff, what about you? So okay, my journey's a little bit different as far as Christian contemporary music goes because it. I did not grow up in like a Christian contemporary household, right? So it wasn't until I adopted that kind of evangelical faith myself that I began purposely listening to Christian contemporary music. So I'll say this: most of my upbringing as far as being a kid was listening to secular music and and you know also having a bunch of older siblings who listened to it's like you know I, I my exposure to music was mostly of that now I will say that my stepmom this was at a very like I was I think I was like five six seven years old something like that um I came across a BJ Thomas cassette <laughs> tape that she had it was BJ Thomas sings um, the greatest hymns. Just as I am without one plea. And, um, and 
I grew up Catholic, so we did not the Catholic Church. You were you didn't sing the same type of hymns that that like those in the Baptist Church sang, right? And this was a cassette tape that had those hymns. So like, um, um, just as I am, and His Eyes on the Sparrow, and How Great Thou Art, you know, things like thing, songs like that. Uh, I did not have a cassette tape player though, but my sister did have a talking mother goose toy. So what I would do with that cassette tape is put it in the mother goose and she would sing <laughs> hymns to me. And and that's actually what I would end up using for any cassette that I ended up having. So, you know, I, Interesting. I, I think at one point I had my sister's Janet Jackson cassette and Mother Goose would be singing uh, Rhythm Nation to That's me. That's amazing. Like, like things like that. Mother, Mother Goose um, was uh, Miss Jackson if you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nate, you have no idea how un- impressed I am that you know that. Yes. But um, that's awesome. Um, so anyway, that was uh, – those hymns became so deeply ingrained in me, and, and I can trace it even back, you know, to, to that. But again, most of my youth was spent listening to secular music. Uh, you know, I, I loved pop music. I loved Mariah Carey. Um, I, I, um, this is going to sound really cheesy, but and it is. I, I, I can say that, but it was actually very important. You know, I was a paper boy, and cool. um, and the way that my route was, I would have to walk, walk a long way to get to, like, the actual neighborhood. And then I could start throwing the newspapers. And so, especially on Sundays, those newspapers were, I mean, just carrying just a lot of weight on my shoulder. And um, it kind of... Literal, not metaphorical. (laughs) Well, but metaphorically as well, because, you know, I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old at the time. I knew I was gay. I was struggling personally, no friends no social life, nobody to talk to about, you know, what I knew was going on inside of me. And, um, and I remember like with my, my very first paycheck from being a paper boy, I went and bought Mariah Carey's, uh, music box cassette tape and a Walkman. Nice. And so then I could listen to music while walking. And I re- I still remember walking down the alley it was a shortcut to get to the neighborhood and hearing a hero for the first time. And just playing that song over and over again because you know when she you know there's a hero if you look inside. I, I know this is cheesy it's almost cringeworthy but um i loved that song too uh, it, it, there's a hero if you look inside your heart you don't have to be afraid of what you are and just you know going through what i was going through and hearing that line it was just like a little bit of like hope there mm-hmm. And, um, but I will, so anyway, I, I got to get to the point where I'm talking about Alanis Morissette. Um, her Jagged Little Pill album was probably the first music that I listened to where it was kind of offered a different perspective, but in an angry kind of way where it was like, you are who you are. It is okay. It would take years before I could fully appreciate, um, you know, that message and, I think Alanis is one of the best writers ever, and um, seems to enjoy but, going to the movies. I remember that. Oh, Nate! <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, just just so much anger. Mm-hmm. And there had been music before that where you know the artist was kind of angry, but I didn't like the music, so I never listened to it. But hers was like the first where it really. Um, it really just got to me. And at, on one of her songs, she recognizes this concept from our authorities, usually church authorities. I'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect. We'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect. So, um, anyway, so her music really, uh, it offered a different perspective for me. 
it was a little light at the end of the tunnel that would take me many years to to feel the warmth of that light but um i'm gonna listen to that today <laughs> nate what about you yeah. so i'll say for me when i was thinking about the early stuff mm-hmm. it was the the one album that kind of and it represents my childhood was uh oh, new thing you know he's doing it god is doing a new thing you know he's doing it god is doing a new thing and that was uh dc talk came out in 1990 and i remember uh yeah, I remember Vacation Bible School one one year. I think that album had just come out, and so they just played it over and over. And the, the reason that one sticks out is because that is, I think, uh, symbolic of the bubble I lived in. Mm-hmm. Like, totally opposite of Eucliff. So it was totally that evangelical, conservative evangelical world that I was in. That one, to me, just stands out. And I listened to the whole album this week as much as I could stomach. It It's, uh, yeah, it's awful um so so, some of the some of the rabbit holes i went down this week there's some good music there and there's some stuff i was like oh like i could still listen to this to a degree but that that album was just bad it was just bad but yeah and so let's uh let's keep going okay so like the formative years it could be middle school or high school or even college but what what stood out as being really significant to you musically during those years well, I listened, as I think you guys did too, to a lot of eclectic music, as much as it sounds like I just listened to Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> I really did. And I was in choir, like I mentioned. So my my choir teacher played a huge role in my life through music and even spiritually, not in a direct way, but just little things that I would pick up on the kinds of choices she would make for us to sing and to learn about different cultures and different um, ideas and stuff. So when I got to high school, I had the same choir teacher um, that let me, that, you know, let me get into show choir when I was a younger kid. So we, we had a good relationship. I was listening to, that's also when I had my first, that's when I started singing solos at church. So when I was a teenager, I, Loved out of Eden. When troubles come my way, I'll look to you and everything's okay. When help seems to disappear, i to you and it is all so clear. Um, and go to records, and our ch- we had a church library. Um, and you could go to the library and they had CDs. I guess they would get them from Lifeway or something and you could check out CDs. So I checked out, uh, out of Eden, lovely day. I'm pretty sure I just checked it out for the rest of my life. (laughs) And I had a CD player that was an alarm clock and you could put it in and set it and it would wake you up with the song. So every morning I woke up to out of Eden, lovely day. how to sing and do runs and stuff by just listening to them. I also had some older kids ahead of me that started singing too in church. And they, uh, there was a girl who sang a song by a gospel singer named Babby Mason. And it was the first time I heard somebody sing in a lower register. Cause I was, I'm an alto and I was like, oh, I could maybe sing that. Um, cause you know, so I started listening to her and I started singing some of her songs on Sunday mornings and I was singing in the, the praise team on Wednesday nights with my brother and that hurt. That sounds so, uh, Megan, yeah. what, what was like one of her favorite um, famous songs? She had a, a song called standing in the gap. I went through a Babby Mason phase. Yeah, you might have. And and I'll say this even as I went to college, I I started, I kept singing. And uh, she does like a conference, or she did a conference where songwriters could come 
and and sing in Atlanta and so I went to that I think for two years and entered song competitions and hung out with other people who were you know singing and that that was really cool that was a important like step for me I think in my my life I also had like a I liked Five Iron Frenzy my brother my older brother started a screamo Christian band so we (laughs) were kind of all over the place um and it was fun but yeah I would say Out of Eden was probably my directly reflects my teenage kind of years well I uh became a Christian uh, at a you know 16 years old and that's when I began kind of delving into the Christian contemporary world and there was a period of time there as a result that I did not listen at least publicly to secular music <laughs> but um yeah so I, I remember anointed oh yeah for the sake of the call I am laying down my all uh DC Talk was, uh, Jesus Freak was the first DC Talk album um, and one of the very first Christian albums that I really got into. Not too long after that, Cademan's Call, um, which Cademan's Call kind of got me through college as well. What I like about their music in their lyrics is it just covers a whole gamut of emotions so you, you got the joy you've got the the anger the sadness the maybe not so much anger now that i think about it but you certainly had sadness and and whatnot so it's a good college music to listen to because yeah. you know you're going through a roller coaster of emotions and the the music was a good um a good companion Let's see here. And of course, I was into the pop stuff like Rachel Lampa and uh, loved Nat, uh, Nicole Nordeman, uh, Natalie Grant, Bebo Nordeman, you know, all that. Um, I will say Jennifer Knapp, it, her music, um, you, especially now that I listen to it, now, you know, Knowing her story, she came out um, in um, like 2010, something like that. Um, listening back now, I I could see she was dealing with the same type of thing that I was dealing with, right? Just this self-loathing, and she, she writes a lot of music. Her her words just kind of center around that. And, um, and, you know, she talks about grace a lot. She talks about struggling for all the sin that lives in me. It took a nail to set me free. Still, what I do, I don't want to do. And so goes the story. For all the sin that lives in me. It took a nail to set me free still. And I used to read that Paul scripture nonstop, like all the time, because I'm like, yes, this is this is exactly what I'm dealing with. What I do, I don't want to do, and I don't want to do it. You know that that passage just that kind of just um, circles back and forth because at the time that it, that's what I felt like I was dealing with, like an actual sin, an actual thorn. That's what Jennifer Knapp clearly felt that she was dealing with because there had not been this realization that there's a difference between a piece of your identity and then practices that are harmful and, um, and, and immoral. So, um, Jennifer Knapp's music kind of brought me to my knees a lot in college, um, crying and, um, just weeping and pleading and praying and, um, that just something would change. Um, 
there's a reason why nothing changed. It's because I was wanting to change me, who I actually was. So she and I were living the the same kind yeah. of life, I guess. Same issue. All right, Nate. So what about you? What are we in? Like high school, early? I would say, okay, I'm going to skip to college okay. here because this is when <laughs> I, I feel like my faith took a leap. You know, it was always a big part of my life and I was always in that world. But this is when I kind of tried to make it my own. Yeah. And there, I, I pulled out a few things, a few mo- musical moments from this time that I think kind of are representative of, of the big picture of what was going on. So Jars of Clay's self-titled album came out with Flood and, you know, Flood hit big. But if I can swim after 40 days in I was going through this thing where I really needed to get serious about my faith because Megan, you've said this, but you kind of live with just perpetual guilt. You know, yeah. you're never, you've never done enough and you've, you're never taking it seriously enough. Um, and you know, you, you gotta be, you gotta be, what was <laughs> gotta it? Be gotta true. be true. Gotta be, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to, I wanted to be true and I wanted to be that person. And so there are two albums side by side that I was thinking of. One was the Jars of Clay album. And one was Poison's Greatest Hits with Fallen Angel and uh, <laughs> other 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 of Poison's amazing songs uh, from the 80s. And I was like, okay, I have to take my faith seriously. And part of that is music because I loved music. And so I have to give up all my secular music because that's, that's the thing to do. And I just bought the Poison's Greatest Hits CD and it was amazing. But I had to give it away to somebody I worked with because... <laughs> You gave it away. I did. That's funny. Uh, well, I couldn't throw it yeah, away. Yeah, you're like, I can't do this <laughs> to you. Too great of an album to throw away. Uh, yeah, and so Jars of Clay, you know, and so I got super into the, luckily, that was like kind of, there was a blossoming Christian pop scene at that time. Yeah. And so there were all kinds of albums for me to, to buy, and nearly every successful artist in the secular world had a Christian contemporary, and, <laughs> you know, I, you could find your style there. So I was thinking about those two albums and kind of that and me trying to take my faith seriously and got really into that. I remember going to uh, Ichthus in Kentucky, which is it started in the 60s as a as an answer oh. to Woodstock. It was like the Christian version. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I've never really traced the history of this, but I'm guessing concurrently with what was going on in contemporary pop culture, you can usually find some Christian alternative. Yeah. And Ichthus was that. And I remember going to that in college and we slept in tents and Aww. saw whatever band was popular in the mid 90s in the Christian scene was yeah. playing at this festival. It was great. Huh. Uh, Jars of Clay played. And then to round that time out, I'm thinking of this one concert where the Newsboys and another band that I loved, uh, the OC Supertones, yes. were playing. And so uh, they were playing at in Murray, Kentucky, at Murray State's arena. And so I, I volunteered to be one of the people working oh. there. And so there were a bunch of us that did. And I remember being backstage and two things. Those two bands, Newsboys. Newsboys had this huge show. Oh, the OC Supertones opened up for them. So they play their show. They were cool. And they did their thing. And then the Newsboys played. Uh, and they were just dicks. Like they were. <laughs> 18 years, I guess it was all right. I let you do the thinking. I just bought my time. Father to son, son they hand me down. They were just terrible people. That's funny you say that because I've been backstage with them before too, and I. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. Okay, like they trashed the dressing room and stuff. And I was like, what a horrible representation of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, and I was so turned off by that. And it, it was, so that was, I think, happening with my realization that the institution of the church is seriously flawed. And, you know, it, it's going to be, for me, from that point, it's going to be more about a relationship with Christ rather than, you know, me worrying about the institution of the church. I want to, I want to make this a personal thing. And so that was, that music 
that was kind of the end of that phase for me. So um, no more audio adrenaline and uh, big house. <laughs> all of, yes. Oh, that that song is hard to listen oh. to. Um, but I, this is this at that same concert where I was so turned off by the behavior of the newsboys. I remember going out back and there was a little basketball goal out back and the, it was just me, some rando and the lead singer of the OC Supertones. And we were just like playing basketball and I was hooked on their music Yeah, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to talk to him because it was like a, it was a Christian celebrity. You yeah. Know? And I just sure. remember at one point. So he was just shooting, and I was just rebounding the ball. I was just getting it and passing it back, and he was just taking shot after shot, and we weren't talking at all. And then I grabbed the ball, I grabbed a rebound, and I just looked at him, and I said, I don't know what to say, man, but I'm playing basketball with the lead singer of the OC Supertones, and that's cool. And I threw the ball to him. He didn't even really acknowledge that I'd said anything. He just kind of looked at me, which is an appropriate response to that. Yeah. That's funny. And I don't know if it... I don't know if it comes through on audio, but my face is super red, even just telling that memory. <laughs> oh, such a little fanboy. Uh, well, that kind of reminds me, like I said, um, the time that I saw them backstage, I, the main person I was talking to backstage was Joy Williams, who I think has also gone through some pulling threads. Um, but when I was about to graduate I felt called into the music ministry and I think I've told you guys this before but I went down front and told the the people at the altar call that I was called into music ministry and so they had me fill out a card as you do in the Southern Baptist Church and mark your little checkbox of what you feel like God is telling you to do so I filled out the card and I there was no spot for me to put music ministry and I told them that I would um, feel called to the music ministry and they said well just put vocational ministry and I was like uh, but I don't like I know specifically it's music and they were like well just put that for now I'm like was okay. that a I don't want to read into it but was that a woman thing was that because I, you were a woman you know at the time I had no clue about that kind of stuff really you know but maybe or it, it did kind of feel like they didn't trust me to know my own path, you know? Um, yeah. And that's something I had to come to terms with when eventually I stopped doing music. Uh, but I guess we'll get to that. So was there a different card for guys than, than girls? You said it wasn't an option on oh, there. I don't know. I was just a young 18-year-old. There could have been. Who knows? Uh-oh. We, uh. need, a, we need a Pulling Threads Investigates. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's because another... surely plenty of guys had walked up and said, right. "I've been called to the music ministry," and it maybe they just let them They're... say they were called into the ministry. But it was almost like, "Oh, gotcha." Well, you can say vocational ministry, you know? Yeah. And again, I I hate to harp on yeah. this, but you can see an even an evolution of that even within the Southern Baptist Church. So, like at one point, it was completely forbidden for a woman to even be on a praise team playing right. an instrument. And now I know very strong Southern evangelical Baptist music ministers who have allowed their daughters to lead worship. Mm. And that is what their daughters are doing for a living. And they justify it. Scandalous. There is, there is now a modern justification that allows for that. Yeah. So are you saying... That morality evolves over time? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Nay, I, I would say that the immorality in this issue was a church that was oppressing women and telling them that they were not good enough to come and, and lead in, in a worship experience. Mm. Okay. I would say that that was the immorality. Not a complimentary and noted. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's keep moving chronologically then okay. down our timelines. And so, Megan, for you, after that period, uh, what's next for you musically? Hmm. Well, I guess a big part of my story is in college, I was I started out as a music major. And my first semester, I was miserable. <laughs> uh, 
And I knew I was miserable when I realized that political science was my favorite class. And I had all these music classes. And I thought, you know what? I think God can still, this was my mentality at the time, I think God can still use me musically if I'm not a music major. Because at the time, I didn't want to be a music teacher, and I didn't want to sing opera music, basically. And those seemed like the two options uh, for, for me at my school. So I got out of that. And once I got out of that, I had way more time. And so I, I had always, I guess, later in high school and stuff, started writing songs and stuff. So I kept writing songs, singing. I had a really awesome friend named Graham. Shout out to Graham. He, one, one time I just remember he met me up at our church and I said, Graham, I want to sing these songs at this coffee shop, but I don't know how to play guitar. And he went through every single song and like came up with some kind of chords for the songs based on what I was singing. And he was just a really awesome guy. And from then on, I had time and I started learning guitar and playing. And I met some really awesome people who owned a local coffee shop and basically made a little musical career through college up there um and as i'm doing that i'm listening to james taylor a lot in my mind i'm gone to carolina can't you see the sunshine can't you just feel the moonshine and lots of kind of acoustic i guess people but james taylor is probably my my favorite all time you guys know this but artist i think i've seen him like three times in concert um later in college i started listening to and i mentioned this in my story sarah groves i think the album came out around 2005 or early 2000s and it's called add to the beauty and there are so many songs on there that helped me transition through my spiritual deconstruction um there's a song on there called just showed up for my own life and i just showed up for my own life and i'm standing here taking it and i remember feeling like so much peace hearing that like oh i'm i'm finally living my life you know in a way that makes more sense or there's a song on there called it's gonna be all right and i just remember like driving back and forth from like Texas Tech back home which is about a five-hour drive listening to this album like crying and in the car and just going through all these different emotions um she even has a song on the album called to the moon and it's about a church I think it's uh, sarcasm or whatever I don't know irony or something like that but basically it's the whole song is how this church is gonna have a bake sale and they're gonna leave and go to the moon where they can be you know how they're supposed to be basically like churches are just trying to not be involved in the real world there'll be no one there to tell us we're right no one to change our opinions of god just lots of rocks in this dusty side here in our church on the moon. You know, they're they're going to live on the moon. Um, it was just a really clever song to me where I kind of started thinking about the church as this institution that was kind of maybe not as great as I thought it was, you know? Is this around your snow globe time? Uh, so I kept listening to that album probably for four or five years, and it still, like, worked through all the transition. I think that's why I wow. always mention it because like I said, even today, sometimes I'll listen to some of those songs because I can still find a connection to what she's talking about. Um, the song I mentioned in my story, loving a person just the way they are. It's no small thing. It's the whole thing. Loving a person just the way they are. That's no small thing. That's the whole thing loving me just the way I am it's no small loving me just the way I am it's no small thing and I don't want to get teary-eyed no (laughs) um but I think that's kind of 
the the butterfly transitioning you know like out of the remembering your chains to finally feeling like you were free some self-acceptance yeah. and self-love mm -hmm. all right cliff okay so yeah as i was saying like through college i think in terms of music my goal was to either listen to music that made me feel comfortable or made me feel less lonely mm -hmm. and better about my sin because oh they're struggling too or music that maybe proved a, a good distraction from it um Kateman's call was especially um good in the sense that um they talked a lot about like personal relationships and struggles And I was, my mindset at that time was I still got to find a girlfriend. I need to get married. I need to have kids. And it was, um, it was, it made me feel better to hear of other guys around my age who are struggling. You know, it just, again, a, a distraction from what, you know. The same year that I graduated college, Derek Webb went solo from Capen's Call. And I was pretty excited about his album because I, I enjoyed his writings on Cademan's Call. And one of the very first, uh, one of the very first lines that you hear when you're listening to the album, this is from his uh, "She Must and Shall Go Free" album, which is essentially talking about the church. Um, and one of the first lines you hear is, "I am a whore. I do confess. I put you on just like a wedding dress, and I run down the aisle." Run down the aisle. Run down the aisle. I am a whore, I do confess. Put you on just like a wedding dress, and I run down the aisle. Run down the aisle. I'm a prodigal with no way home. I put you on just like a ring of gold, and I run down. And um, just, I mean, that, like, in the Christian circle made, like, news, you know? Like, oh, he's he's losing his way. And um, it was just a very raw um, experience in him being a little bit, uh, or I was uh, a lot more honest with the church, with, you know, how the church acts, how the church... Um, sees its sin his following album though is probably again my pullings of threads i think a lot of threads that i was pulling i was pulling like in secret like i couldn't mm -hmm. let anybody know i was pulling these threads because they'll find out i'm gay so his following album i see things upside down took that to an even further degree that whole messaging and so um one of the first things you hear in this album is I repent, I repent of my pursuit of America's dream. I repent, I repent of living like I deserve anything. Of, mm, damn it, just a second. <laughs> of my house, my fence, my kids, my wife, in our suburb where we're safe and white. Of my pursuit of America's dream, I repent. I repent of living like I deserve anything. Of my house, my fence, my kids. I 
And I just remember here that that particularly kicked my butt because what he had just described is what I had always felt like I wanted, and the the, the everything that whole life, uh, if I could just gain that particular life, and um, and then he talks about. Um, I repent of paying for what I get for free and for the way I believe that I am living right by trading sins for others that are easier to hide. And of course, still living in a space where I felt homosexuality was sin, but also recognizing um, this particular sin has been given a target. Like, it can be seen, and so it's easy to judge. And um, Anyway, so that whole album just really kicked my ass, really, and, and had me questioning, like, oh, okay, you're allowed to, you're allowed to question this <laughs> stuff? Like, he was questioning it, and, um, and he received a lot of flack, and... I think we know now Derek Webb has pulled many threads. Um, and um, Nate, you introduced me to a band uh, 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 called the Avit Brothers back in, I don't know, 2014 or something like that. Does that sound close to right? Way before 2014. Was it really? Yeah, I think Gosh. 2010 is when you and I went and saw that one show. Okay. Yeah, we, w- we went and saw that show before I was had even really listened to any of their music and and now i i, I would have had a better understanding a, a better appreciation because then i just fell in love with that album you know that band um so on my wall there is a picture of a um a bird cage with a bird with an open door and a bird having flown out of it and it says decide what to be and go be it and that is a phrase from Head Full of Doubt, Red Full of Promise, yes. Um, the name of the album is I Love, I and Love and I You. I and Love and You, yeah. That, right. If you're loved by someone you'll never rejected, decide what to be and go be it. There was a dream. That song just really spoke to me because what I took from the song is he is standing up for, he's screaming um, on behalf of the oppressed, right? Like he sees it happening. He sees the hypocrisy. He sees the black and white wording and uh, he sees that there, but he also sees all the gray area and those who are suffering in the gray area between the black and white statements, whether scriptural or, or whatever, of what is right and wrong. That's what I took from the, the, the song, that's what I took from the album, and music like from the Avid Brothers is what let me know that inside it's okay to begin questioning. It's okay to begin identifying these cracks in the wall that I have been building up. And, um, so yeah, so thank you for that, Nate. Yeah. Okay, Nathan, what about you? Well, so I, I'll just kind of join Cliff's, the early part, the Derek Webb part, okay. because Derek Webb was asking all these questions about the institution of the church, yeah. you know, and he was he was definitely in an angry phase, and I wasn't necessarily as angry as he was, I don't think, but the, the song I chose to represent this part for me was Matt Redman's Heart of Worship. I'm coming back to the heart of Because it was like stripping away everything we didn't need that, you know, it was kind of like, Megan, you talked about in your story where you had that moment with the snow globe where you're like, why wouldn't we just spend this $100 on people who need it rather than buying the snow globe for the youth group? You know, it was kind of similar. And I feel like the three of us all went through that time. 
And so Heart of Worship was about coming back to what's essential. And then it also introduced, uh, it was kind of, you know, there were many songs that came after this one. Uh, I mean, I could make a huge yeah. list. Uh, Trading My Sorrows, like oh all of those. Oh my gosh, I played that uh, for so many years. <laughs> yeah, Your Love is Extravagant. Like yes. that whole, that whole, you know, you could have a, another episode just dedicated to those songs. But what that did, that part of my life was moving from a religion to a relationship. And so I wasn't identifying as a Christian, as a religious Christian. I was identifying as a follower of Christ because it was about this relationship I had with Jesus. And it was about me. You know, there's that first in Galatians, uh, what matters is faith expressing itself through love. That was, um, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be, I wanted to show Christ to people that way. And it didn't have anything to do with the church. I started this thing in my apartment called Graceland. And it was like, <laughs> We would start, we'd light a candle in the middle of the room and then we would sing and we would just talk about, share whatever came up. And that's where, um, that's where I was. And that kind of represents that time in my life where the worship became essential to my faith. And, and it got harder and harder for me to separate the emotional experience of a worship service with what my actual faith was. Because I think I, I started to, those, those two things started to merge into one, this emotional experience I have in worship and, uh, you know, this faith that I'm a part of, like kind of, and my relationship with Jesus, that was a big part of it, that emotional. So it was, it was almost like needing that emotional fix every week, um, you know, that I would get at the BSU on Thursday nights. and Or like your faith wasn't real or. No, I felt like my faith was very real. Yeah. And it was, it, it wasn't confined anymore by church gotcha. life. It was now in all parts of my life, but it, it was kind of, I needed that emotional experience mm -hmm. every week mm -hmm. to like, you know, complete the whole thing. And that kind of takes us back to even just our podcast of like, what happens when that goes away? How do you continue to get that emotional fix? Or like with the music thing, I've been, I kind of had a aha moment of for so long, I tied my musical abilities and interests with my faith so when my faith changed for a while I kept writing and playing songs through pulling threads but then after a while it was almost like I went radio what did they say radio silent radio silent and like yeah because I I didn't really <laughs> have anything to say you know and I'm I'm hoping I'm hopeful that now that I've kind of made that realization Maybe I can find a new musical path. Who knows? But well, so as your sweater started to fall apart, what? Yeah. You weren't writing and you weren't performing, but what were you listening to that you were connecting yeah, with? Yeah. So I, I was on the tail end of writing and performing. So I was writing a lot about how I mentioned in my episode about Jacob, my husband, you know, and just like us trying to find common ground. Um, and the main song to me that goes with that time period, I don't really even know much about this artist, but Jacob told me about him because he kind of sounds like James Taylor and he knew how much I love James Taylor. His name's David Wilcox and he has a song called Hold It Up to the Light. If I can't be certain of all that's in store This far it feels so right I will hold it up, hold it up to the light, hold it up to the light, hold it up to the light. And I listen to that. I'm one of those people that if I find a song I like, I can listen to it on repeat for probably a couple of days and be fine. So this last week, I was just, I kept playing it over and over again because the words in that song are pretty much exactly what I was thinking about Jacob and my faith and like what do I what do I do and it really helped give me some clarity on both of those things it's just about you know when you're faced with these decisions and these choices hold it up to the light and see you know and it gave me some peace about okay these are these are decisions that are gonna be good for me, even though they're scary, and I wanna I wanna risk it. So yeah, that song was 
majorly and still is I feel nostalgic when I listen back to it I'm like still you know like yeah it kind of comforts me because it reminds me that I was really trying to seek the best path that I could you know so yeah that's cool Cliff so in Good Lord, Cliff Words. Okay. <laughs> in 2018, I was attending the TMEA, Texas Music Educators Association Conference, convention. And, you know, as part of the experience, you go to a lot of concerts. And uh, there was an evening concert that I ended up going to, but I was running late. And so I, I just, I, I hurried because I didn't want to miss it. It was the Texas State uh, University crowd that was going to be singing performing i knew they'd be good but i did I, all i knew is that they were performing i didn't know what they were going to be singing or anything like that when i think of all the times the world was ours for dreaming when i think of all the times the earth seemed like our home and um so i i quickly i grab a program and i rush in and i find a seat and i'm just kind of you know, it's about to begin and I'm thumbing through and I see that the title, it was Craig Hella Johnson. He is a, in the choir world, this guy is like a celebrity. He's, he's just a really good composer and um, stylistically and everything. And the name of the work that they were going to perform were excerpts from, it's an oratorio, which is kind of a cross between like a musical and an opera. It's just basically a bunch of songs that are telling a story. And, um, and it was called Considering Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard, uh, back in 1998, I was a junior, um, this made the headlines, you know, he was murdered, um, he was gay, it was understood that he was murdered for being gay, and I would not even just say murdered, he was tortured, and, um, and then we saw, like, people picketing his funeral, God hates fags, and, um, things like that. The, the whole musical experience, and this, this is before I came out, this was back in 2018, it just, um, it was not long before I came out, it, it just, um, it, yeah, it, it moved me greatly. And I remember not to, like the following year, um, I was talking to another colleague who is a retired colleague about this work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to have my choir perform a couple pieces from this. And he was talking about, um, like, oh, no, I would would never do anything from that. I'm like, well, why not? This is great music. And he's like, yeah, but it celebrates homosexuality. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I would come out two weeks later. So, I mean, this this whole work Mm -hmm. um, really... Um, it, it was a different way of, it's a different yeah. r- way of writing music. It's, it's, um, it's telling somebody's story, which you can't get any more truthful than that. And, um, yeah, so that, that moved me. 
and like I said, two weeks later. I got goosebumps. So. Nathan, what about you? For me, it was, uh, you know, leaving kind of on the way out of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, music had been a big part of, I, I needed that emotional connection mm-hmm. to music and the praise and worship stuff had filled that, uh, that need, but I'm moving on from that. And so there was an album that came out, uh, and I think, I think it came out in 2005 because when Jack was just born in Bangkok, Thailand, sitting in a guest house, had my first iPod that my mom brought over for <laughs> Lindsay and me for Christmas. Aww. And iTunes recommended, uh, the, the album, the animal years by Josh Ritter. And so I put that album on my iPod mm-hmm. and just played it over and over. And then we moved back to the U S and I just, that album for the next year or two, that was the soundtrack to deconstruction for me. And it was a way I felt super intellectually stimulated by his, his stuff. He's a, he's a good writer. I got a girl in the war, man. I wonder what it is we've done. Paul said to Peter, you gotta rock yourself a little harder. I just felt this emotional connection to his music and yeah, it filled a void, uh, you know, that I had. And then his music and then the Ava brothers that Cliff talked about, their stuff really resonates with me emotionally. And that's been, those have been kind of my two most frequently played. I, I go down the indie folk trail pretty far, but those two are always, they're staples in whatever I'm listening to. Well, that's because they they tend to sing about content that's real enough that you can that it can give you an emotional connection to it, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to be listening to faith based yeah. lyrics to. I mean, that's that was a an awesome discovery for me. Like, oh, I can have this emotional, like, deep understanding and attachment mm-hmm. that, with good words, like good texts mm-hmm. that are poetic and yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. concerts, you know, gathering together with people that are all hearing those. So the, same... the, the, the Avit world, the Avit Guild and that whole world, I mean there are people I, I think I think I'm a fan. Spotify tells me I'm in the point five, <laughs> you know, yeah. top point five percent of Avit fans, but there are people who are just like so next level, like they've named their kids Avit. Oh gosh. And, <laughs> but going to these shows with those people yeah. it's it, it's the closest thing that I have now to, you know, like a religious yeah. experience uh, of that emotional, the emotional impact. Um, yeah. Is the Avid brothers. My, my friend Dave and I went to a show in Baltimore a couple years ago and it, the night was just, I mean, it was just magical. It really was like the music can move you in a way that really nothing else can. So, okay. That brings us up to current day then. Um, Megan, what, what do you listen to now? Like what, what do you connect with now? I am connecting with high women uh, there's a song on their album called Old Soul. When I heard it, I thought this song was written about me as a child and as a person like, oh man, yeah, we got to put that on our playlist. I also really connect to Casey Musgraves, loving her stuff. She has a good song called Love is a Wild Thing. Um, and through 2020, I just needed some feel good like vibes. So I've been listening to Surfaces pretty much nonstop. That's where I'm at these days. I did enjoy Coldplay's Higher Power too. Have you heard that song? I've listened <gasps> to Coldplay since. Okay, I hadn't either, but yeah, I heard this song on the radio and I was like, "Yes." So, I'm going to put that on our playlist. Okay. Cliff. Like I still listen to The Head and the Horror. I still Ooh, listen to the Avett Brothers. Reli- you know, I guess lately um just because I've been listening to a lot of the old stuff mm-hmm. that I used to listen to. So I find myself listening to that a lot. Mm. Things that I've already talked mm-hmm. about. And, I, and I'm and tr- i still trying to figure out what that means. Like if I'm feeling a connection there. I suppose the, the connection is not... It's... Um, what, what's the word? Uh, nostalgic, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just listening to it from the perspective, trying to remember what it was like to first listen to it and what it meant to me at that time and what it means to me now. Yeah. And and realizing even the writers and the singers, they may have, that, that was their story that they were telling and many of them have pulled threads and have listened, have ended up in a different place. And so, yeah. Uh, Nathan, what about you? What are you listening to these days? So, I mean, like I said, indie folk's always, 
on my radar and in my mix. But uh, music's actually um, become a, a really significant part of my relationship with both of my kids. And so even while we've been recording this, my son sent me two songs today uh, to listen to. And it's just something we do. And Caroline sends me stuff. Caroline introduced me uh, to the band Rainbow Kitten Surprise. I don't know if you know them or not. They're pretty great. Um, uh, yeah, she introduced me to their stuff. And then like Jack, he and I will make playlists for each other. And he likes uh, Cottonwood Firing Squad. And he likes... Uh, so Jack also listens to a band called Current Joys, and I'm really digging their stuff. It's not stuff I would naturally find on my own organically, um, but it's a fun it's a fun way to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. And then my son and I, we've got a little side project where we're creating a situationally specific playlist, and then we right. there's this randomizer wheel that we spin, um, <laughs> and so it'll be like songs before 1980. And so we're we're uh, we're, we're writing those up, and then cool. Um, I put those on medium. Yeah, just fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. So music's become a big part of my relationship with my kids, which is cool. But I would say the the best album I've heard was by a guy named Eddie Berman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it's one of the few times where I found an entire album that I really like. And so I mm-hmm. might throw one of his songs on our, uh, on the playlist we do for this episode. Cool. Well, I think we could all agree that music played an important part in our journeys and still continues to, right? Huge. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks for uh, listening and, and to us unpack this and pull this sweater apart even more. Uh, and just thanks for listening. Thanks for continuing to, to check in with us. Um, any last things before we go? Maybe our we need some recommendations from our audience. You know, what are you guys listening to? Let us oh, know. There you go. Send us some Hit us comments. up on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, Instagram. TikTok, Instagram. <laughs> And we'll be back to our normal format next week when we have um, guest. Uh, it's a married couple, uh, Julie Cooley and Sean Cooley. And um, they'll be talking about their own uh, faith deconstruction, how that has impacted them as a couple and, and, and as parents. And um, the podcast pairings for that episode uh, will be... Um, Julie has picked a nice boxed rosé with, <laughs> um, with some Cheez-Its. <laughs> and Sean, being the beer connoisseur-ver <laughs> that he is, uh, he, he's opted for pretzels and craft beer. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Cliff, you're going to play us out, right? With a hymn. Nice on the piano. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which one do you want? Uh, leaning on the everlasting arm. Oh gosh, yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, bye. Yeah, well, I was going to say Creed because Creed was the same thing where they had these ambiguously spiritual lyrics, right? And everybody, like that late 90s uh, sound. Yeah. Um, I remember their album. We were all like, they're part of, they're one of us. Uh, like, yeah. this is music we can listen to and not <laughs> feel guilty about. But you liked about. their voices? I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the music. <laughs> <laughs>